Thank you so much, Pam. Pam's been a part of New Life Holt uh, International for over 20 years. And I know that since we've been on campus, she's been here. I think this is their either their third time, maybe second or third time uh, in the last um, years that we have been at campus. So thank you so much. And so you can visit Pam and Holt International out in the lobby uh, today. Hey, it's great to see you. Oh, all right. Well, it was great to see you. I mean, hey, good morning. Those of you that may be new here, my name is Jeremy. I'm the campus pastor uh, for this campus. And so before we dive into today's message, um, I want to take a, just a couple of minutes and uh, for us to have a little family conversation, a little family chat. You know, every now and then, if you, those of you who are married and you bring your kids around and uh, you have these conversations every now and then to say, hey, we need to have a family chat. Um, I know that that, uh, I don't know if it's driving you guys nuts, but that light back there is driving me crazy. I'm, it's my ADHD is really on point right now. Is, can we just pull those lights down, Jackson? You guys mind being in the dark for today until we figure that out this week? Okay. I mean, I really like seeing your faces, but wonder if we, I'll let him work on that. So uh, I just want to address some of the challenges that we're currently facing in our country right now, and not only our country, but also um, here at our church and also within our community, because I feel like it's good for us to uh, make sure that we stay connected with what's happening and make sure that we're all in the know because we are open doors and open windows here because we love uh, full transparency. But when you look around the country right now, uh, we are in another season of uncertainty. And that season started a couple of years ago, right, with COVID. And now that COVID's kind of dying off and things are opening up more, uh, people are feeling uh, safer than they were two years ago or even a year ago. But we find ourselves again in more uncertainty with rising uh, gas prices, with the war in Ukraine, uh, with things like that that's going on uh, around our country that can create a lot of fear and can create a lot of panic. I don't know if you believe in spiritual warfare. I firmly believe in spiritual warfare, and I believe that the spirits of fear and division are still alive and active uh, within us. And we as soldiers and we as uh, followers of Jesus need to be aware of that so that we don't let those, those spirits creep into our family, right, of division and fear. And we should stay on that, but it, it, it does make us wonder what's next. And so one of the shifts, some of the shifts that we've seen here at New Life is we've seen a, an increase in the need, in needs of people, but we've also seen an increase in lots of new faces. And we can see that here this morning on this day, March 13th, 2022. We see we have new faces in here this morning. Each week we see God continues to bring new faces, not only for our campus, but for the Turlock campus as well. Uh, God is doing something really uh, spectacular and awesome and wonderful at New Life right now. And we also are aware that... Uh, what I think is happening in our church right now is something that God has been preparing us for back in the years of 2020, 2021. Those of you that have been attending here uh, longer than a year may remember a message that I gave either uh, online or maybe you were attending when we were in Turlock about how I believe that 2022 is going to be a great year of harvest. And I believe that God is doing something in us in 20 and 21 and preparing us for the people that he is going to be bringing into our 
our services at both campuses because right now people are hungry and open for answers. People are hungry and open for peace and hope and they are looking for that. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you know that the only true hope and the only true peace is found in Jesus. And so I believe that God has positioned and poised us right now not only for the Patterson campus, but for the Turlock campus as well, for the harvest that is coming in, and it's very evident. Now, along with us seeing an increase in need and an increase in attendance, we've seen a dramatic shift in our giving as well, but the other way. And I know that this happens when we are in perilous times, when we're in times of fear, when we're in times of panic. Just in the first 10 weeks of this year, 2022, we've seen a 22% reduction in our giving. Increase in numbers, decrease in giving. If you know anything about math, that's not sustainable. Eventually, uh, that, that ends up causing us to make a lot of changes and it causes us to live a little differently, which we are 100% okay with. But that's a very dramatic decrease in a very short amount of time. Now, we have reserve account. We have a reserve account that we've been able to dip into uh, to make ends meet, and uh, we've, we've been de- developing this reserve account for a few years, but uh, it was never designed for that big of a decrease over a short amount of time. And so this is where we find ourselves, uh, knowing that we don't receive any uh, government assistance as a church, we don't receive any income from outside organizations where we are 100% funded on the donors of our church. on the givers who attend our campuses. And so uh, perhaps this is your, uh, this is where you have decided to land. And you've said, you know what, New Life uh, Patterson is going to be my church and you've never given before. This is an opportunity for us to begin investing into what God's doing around here. Because it's easy to come in, if you've only been here uh, a few times, it's easy to come in and say, well, uh, they have hot coffee. Uh, our kids team, our kids room is resourced. Uh, it looks like we have a tech team. We have, a, we have lights, we have sound, we have, it's clean, we have seats in here. So it looks like they're doing well and they don't need my resources. But the fact is, if we all thought like that, we'd be done pretty quick, right? And that's just not a sustainable mentality. Uh, so this is, my, this is my ask as the pastor of this campus. Let's just all do our part. And this is not even about tithing because I know the biblical tithe says 10%. Put that aside. I'm not even talking about that. I'm just saying, what can we do? What can we all do to align our heart to have a heart of generosity by just doing something? Because if we all collectively did something, these conversations would never have to be had. And this is what they did in the New Testament church. 2,000 years ago in the book of Acts, they said, hey, let's all bring something, and they all brought something, and all the needs of the community, according to Scripture, were met. Let me also just say this, that my wife and I, Janet, we, I promise you, we are leading the way in this. Not only has God called us and brought us to California to lead New Life Patterson for this season of our church, but I promise you that we are leading the way in what God is asking us to do and inviting us into to lead this body in giving back to God what really belongs to him. And so this morning, I'm boldly asking for all of us to do the same. Not the whole tithing part, but what can we do? Can we all do something? Back in January, Janet and I agreed to dramatically increase our giving because we are so 
all in on this. But we want to do this as a family. So I'm asking all of us boldly to do the same. Not because we want to uh, just temporarily take care of a financial challenge that we're in now. But I believe, like I said, going back, that God has positioned us for the harvest. The harvest is not only coming in, the harvest is here. It is happening. We can see it each and every week. Each, for the last three weeks, we've had to use the overflow section for people uh, as they come in, even if it is just my son. <laughs> Love you, buddy. Hi, Isla. <laughs> so uh, this, that's what I'm asking. But here's what I'm saying. I, this is what I do not want anyone to do. Do not respond to this today. Don't respond today because the Bible says that we should not give out of guilt. We should not give out of shame. We should not give because someone is forcing us or coercing us to do so. And that is not what we are doing. My job today was to sit down as your pastor and say, this is where we are and this is where we want to go. And we can't do that without all of us collectively doing our part. Okay. Uh, is that okay? So like I said, I don't want you to respond today. This week, I want you to pray about it. If you're married, I want you to sit down with your spouse and say, what can we begin doing? If, we, if you've never begun that, uh, began that journey of, of, of generosity, say, uh, what can we begin doing today? If you're single, if you're a student, ask God this week. Pray with our leadership team and say, what is God inviting me into this week? Because I know for a fact that if we all do our part, every need in the community, every need here will be met. All right, love you guys. Now, let's go to a wedding. You guys want to do that? Jesus went to a wedding and he wants us to go with him. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. We are going to go to a wedding with Jesus. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. So we don't have all the verses on the screen this week. So just uh, if you want to follow along in your pad or your iPad or your phone, you can do that. If you've never downloaded the YouVersion app, I just want to encourage you to do so. It's a great app to follow along with. So John chapter 2, weddings are fun, all right? Some people uh, in this room, Lauren, been married recently in the last year, all right? But weddings are a lot of fun. Over the last 17 years, I've uh, officiated dozens and dozens of weddings, different styles, different themes, different states, uh, different weather conditions, indoor and outdoor, frigid cold with several feet of snow on the ground, in Wisconsin, and then the blistering heat of the noontime sun. Last year, I did a wedding. On the same day that Miss Lauren got married back there, I did a wedding down near Fresno. It was 111 at 6 p.m., all right? And then the next day, I had another wedding. It was 104, and then I, I spoke two times, gave two messages the next day on Sunday. So by Sunday afternoon, I was completely wiped out. I've done country weddings and barns where they ask everybody to wear boots and bolo ties. I've done beach weddings where everyone wore all white and uh, Hawaiian lays. I did, a wet, I did a military wedding one time that had, a military, that had a Marine sword detail at the end. So the bride and the groom walked uh, in the middle of all these Marines with their swords up. It was super cool. And weddings have a lot of different creative elements to them as well, don't they? Communion. Um, unity sand or unity candles. I've, I've heard poems read. I've heard songs sang. I've seen funny entrances and exits where they dance in and then they dance out, all kinds of crazy stuff like that. I've cried with the bride and the groom as they share their love for each other while reading their vows. I've also cried when a daddy grabs his daughter and does that daddy-daughter dance uh, at the reception. I've laughed 
uh, hysterically at some best man speeches and been totally embarrassed at others. Maybe some of you have been to those. I've watched fathers give away daughters. I've seen sons give away their mothers. I've watched uh, other family members give away brides because there was no one there to do so. I've, weddings can be tender. Weddings can be beautiful. Weddings are special. Weddings are supposed to be so memorable. And I've also witnessed a wedding of restoration. A few years ago, I remarried a couple that was married for 25 years, divorced for 10 years. They moved to different states, neither remarried, but both surrendered their life to Jesus in this 10 years. And then they reunited and asked me to, uh, do, to, to redo their vows. And so I remarried this couple after being divorced for 10 years. I also love different cultures of weddings too. Been all over the country. You know, I'm from Tennessee. I lived in Colorado a little bit in the Midwest for nine years. And we've lived here in California for the last five years. So I've seen redneck weddings. I've seen uh, 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 weddings in the, in, the, in the Midwest. And I've seen California weddings. Some of my favorite are the weddings I go to of my Latino community. Let me hear it for, for it. All right. You guys know how to get married. You also know how to party and you know how to drink. All right, let me just say that because I've been to all your weddings. One of my favorite uh, weddings was a Hispanic wedding. No one spoke English except for the bride and groom. They were young. And so they found me just through a friend and said, you know, can, can you marry her, 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 her fiance was in the military and they went, I said, absolutely. So I married them. And at the end of the wedding, I never will forget. I went up and gave the bride a hug and kiss. You look beautiful. Congratulations. And, you know, shook the groom's hand. It was great. And then I looked to the bride's right and there were about seven Mexican women all over the age of 70 standing, staring at me like this. I had no idea what was about to happen, but I never will forget. I looked at the bride <clears throat> and she said, Pastor Jeremy, pucker up. Here you go. And I was like, I don't know what that means, but okay. And so I went and each one grabbed me by the face and gave me a kiss right in the mouth, all down all seven. I said, look, I don't know if this is normal for a Mexican wedding, but sign me up for another one. I'm good with these Mexican weddings, all right? And then October, this year of October, I get to marry my son and his beautiful fiance, Isla. And I get to experience an Assyrian wedding because she's, uh, Isla's Assyrian. And so if you've never seen an Assyrian wedding, go to YouTube. We're going to have a good time. There's going to be a lot of dancing. All right. But I wanted to set it up like this because I wanted us all to feel like we're at this wedding that we're going to be reading about today. This uh, to kind of get us in the wedding mood that Jesus and his disciples were invited into. Okay, so John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Follow along with me if you haven't. I'm reading out the New Living Translation. The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem. Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. Now, if you don't know tradition, you do not run out of wine in the middle of a wedding. It's not supposed to happen. But his mother told his servants, do whatever he tells you. I love that, Jesus, that Mary completely ignores what Jesus just said. Woman, this is not my problem. And then he just, she completely ignores him. And this standing nearby were six stone water jars used for ceremonial Jew, Jewish ceremonial washing. That's really important. We're going to come back to that. 
Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though, of course, the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, they bring out the less expensive wine, the kind you get at Pastor Tito's house, all right? The Colt 44, you know, all the cheap stuff that you can't afford, you know, when, when you're doing better. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. Get that. This was the first time that Jesus revealed his glory. And then this is important. And his disciples believed in him. There's one common denominator that I've seen in nearly every wedding that I've done, and that's wine. There's always wine. And sometimes, like we said at Jewish weddings, Jewish weddings would sometimes last up to seven days. And we believe that Jesus and his disciples got there around day three. And so Mary, the mother of Jesus, was already there. And now they are out of wine. So I began to do a little deeper, dig a little deeper into this text and thought, this is so strange. Why is this the first miracle of Jesus? Why is this miracle, turning water into wine at a wedding, the first miracle of Jesus? Why didn't he walk on water first? Why didn't he feed 5,000 people first or raise Lazarus from the dead or heal a leper or make mud with, with a spit for a blind man or tell the crippled man to get up and take his mat and go home? There are so many awesome, amazing miracles that Jesus did. Why is this one the first one? Was he just being obedient to his mother? You know, honor thy father and thy mother? Or is it something deeper? I believe Jesus is presenting his ultimate purpose, and the reason why he came to earth right here in this first miracle. Jesus went to a wedding, and this wedding symbolizes the relationship between Jesus and the church. Not a building, but you and I, because we are the church. And he even talked about, Jesus even talked about himself having these groom-like responsibilities. Look at what he said in John 14, verses 2 and 3. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not soul, so would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. You see, it was Jewish tradition that once there was an engagement for the man to go back and build either a room onto his family's home for his soon-to-be wife or to build his own home. Just uh, FYI, you guys are getting your own place, right? You're not going to build. Okay. <clears throat> so the scene in this wedding, Jesus is the groom and we are his church. We are the bride. So here's something else. This is really good. Imagine this. What have we been using in our sacraments for the last 2,000 years that represents the blood of Jesus during communion? Wine or juice. And what did the master of ceremony say about the wine in verse 10? You have saved the best for last. Here's the connection. The blood of Jesus is the last and final covenant, the last and final promise. The last thing, the only thing that's going to bring humanity back into a right relationship with the Father to cleanse us for presentation to the Father. Animal blood was no longer accepted. 
It was only going to be the perfect sinless blood of Jesus Christ to unite the marriage bond between God and his people. So this very first miracle of Jesus is communicating that he is the groom, we are his bride, and his blood, or the wine, is the very best sacrifice that's been saved for last. In these first 10 verses of the second chapter of John's biography of Jesus, we have Jesus basically communicating this. This is who I am, and this is why I'm here. How do we know this? Well, notice the last verse says this, this miraculous sign. It doesn't say just this miracle. This miraculous sign. This is not just an amazing miracle, but it's also a sign. It's a signal of something else. Because if you think about it, if you read on, this is the beginning of Jesus' career. This is the beginning of his ministry. The, the, the beginning of him communicating to the world why he's even here. Because think about this, if you're running for office or you're starting up a business, if you're an entrepreneur and you're getting things going, um, you're starting a campaign, you're, you, you creatively work on that first big announcement that you want people to know that you're around. That first awareness that you've arrived, that you're open for business, that you're in town. Because in this scene, unlike some of the other scenes with Jesus, no one was sick, no one was dead, no one was hungry, no one was caught in some sin. It was just a wedding. This whole scene is a symbol of what Jesus was all about. It connects who Jesus is with the purpose for which he came. So today we're going to try to answer three different questions. We're going to try to answer three questions, and they are this. Number one, what did Jesus come to bring? Why did Jesus have to bring it? And how did Jesus bring it? Okay, what did Jesus come to bring? Why did Jesus have to bring it? And how did Jesus bring it? Okay, now Jesus answers the first question by himself, by basically identifying, him, identifying himself as the true master of ceremonies at this wedding. So write this down for number one. Here's your first feeling for the weekend. Jesus wants to lead me into something more. Jesus wants to lead me into something more. Verses nine and 10, when the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. If you've ever been to a party, you've ever been to a, a, a wedding or a conference or anything that has a master of ceremonies, an, an MC, you know that their job is to keep things moving, to make everyone feel welcomed to enhance the environment of the room by creating energy to kind of keep the party going, to sort of orchestrate and facilitate the event so that no one gets bored, that everyone knows what's coming up next. This was Jesus' way of saying, look, I'm the real master of ceremonies. You want to know why this wine is so good? Because it came from me. And I offer the best, and there's nothing better than what I have to offer. Throughout the Gospels, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament, Jesus consistently lets us know who he is and what his purpose is. In John 10.10, 10, he says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. In John 14 and 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to, to the Father except through me. The sign at this wedding is the very beginning of what Jesus kept repeating about himself during his three-year ministry here on earth. It's one of those lessons for us to remember that Jesus offers me something better, himself. You think, well, 
Jeremy, I'm kind of set in my ways, you know, I'm just here because, you know, my wife drugged me my, or my husband drugged me. I, I don't really want to be here. I'm set in my ways. I love my ways of thinking, my, my way of living, my way of experiencing culture. Um, I love being in control of my life. I don't like change. I, I don't really like disruption. I'm, I'm kind of used to doing things the way that I want to do them. And Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to follow me, I need to change things up a little bit. I need to change you a little bit. Do you trust me or do you trust you? Jesus is the true master of ceremonies because he is in total control. He's been in his position since before creation. He is the Lord of the universe and he wants to be the Lord of our lives. He wants to orchestrate and guide and direct our lives. Like an MC, he wants to bring peace to our chaos. He wants to keep things moving in our life and bring us to a sense of joy that maybe we've never even experienced before. But it takes surrender and it takes our obedience. It takes our willingness to say, Jesus, I I relinquish control of my life to living a surrendered life to you. And that takes us to question number two. Why did Jesus have to bring it? So write this down for number two. Jesus wants to transform me from the inside out. He wants to transform me from the inside out. Now, personally, I believe that I believe that we innately know and understand that there's something wrong with us as human beings. <laughs> it doesn't take a, a whole lot to look in the mirror and say, there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with us as humanity. We are flawed. We're not perfect. We need to be fixed. And we're constantly looking for ways to fix ourselves, aren't we? We're constantly looking for ways to improve our lives, to make us a better person. I mean, physically, we go on diets. We, we exercise to achieve some sort of healthy lifestyle. When we're sick, we go to the doctor. Maybe there's a procedure that we need to have. Relationally, when, when something is wrong between us and someone else, we try to work that out. We try to resolve that issue. Mentally and emotionally, we read books or we seek counseling. Spiritually, we gather with other believers or we pray more. We read the, Bibles, uh, the Bible more. We take those steps necessary to get closer to God. And all of those things are great. We're supposed to be doing those things. But none of those can fix a broken world. We can work on ourselves. We can work on ourselves every single day and we're supposed to. But then we turn on the news. And we see that our world is still broken. As, all, as good as all of those things are to do and to achieve, none will fix a flawed humanity. And we've been trying to do it ever since going all the way back to Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve first felt their shame of their sin, what did they do? They covered themselves with fig leaves and they hid from God. They tried to fix it themselves. And then when God came in the garden in, in, uh, in the cool of the day and was searching for them and, and hollering out their names, and they finally said, here we are. And he said, where were you? We were hiding because we were naked. And he said, who told you you were naked? And then he sacrificed that animal. And with that skin dripping with blood, covered them, which signifies that from the very beginning, it's always taken blood to cover our sin. But Adam and Eve tried to do it first by themselves. They tried to fix it. So why do I bring this up? Fast forward from Adam and Eve thousands of years later to the scene of this wedding. And we find remnants of humanity still trying to keep up with the religious traditional laws for how one can spiritually purify themselves. The water jars. The water jars inside this house. Because remember when we read earlier from the script, 
from the text standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. These weren't just jars used for going down to the river and loading up water for cooking and cleaning the house. These jars of water were used only for purification, for ceremonial cleansing. And now we find them empty. Why? Probably because uh, everyone at the wedding used them as they came in. They probably did all the ceremonial cleansings that they were supposed to do based on their tradition. But notice that Jesus didn't fill up the old wine bottles. It wasn't a coincidence that he used these purification jars. These purification jars represent you and I. That's us. These jars were just lying around the house because humanity was still trying to earn their way into a relationship with the Father. This family and every other Jewish family was still trying to religious tradition and purify their way into living a holy and clean life that would be pleasing to God. And Jesus is saying, see these purification jars? The ones that are used to cleanse you and make you right? Yeah, I'm about to do something new. I'm about to do something different. And like these jars, like these empty jars, God wants us to come to him empty. He wants us to come to him available. He's saying, I need you to empty yourself of what you think cleanses you, all the water, so that I can fill you up with the only thing that truly cleanses you, which is my blood or the wine. This is so good, guys. If you dig down into, into Scripture and just really read and, and ask God to reveal things to you, there's so much rich uh, text in, in, in these Scriptures. But it's not what you and I do. This is what I want to get to. It's not what you and I do that purifies us. It's who Jesus is. Our faith in Jesus is what purifies us, not a checklist of a bunch of do's and don'ts. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says this, God saved you by his grace when you believe, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. No amount of our own purification jars are going to keep us in a good relationship with Jesus. It doesn't matter how much we give, how many we serve, how much we pray, how many chapters we reread, what matters is the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and our belief and our trust in him. All of those things are great. We're supposed to be doing those things. But you see, the closer you get to Jesus, the more you'll want to give and the more you'll serve and the more you'll pray and read all the more because you'll want to do those things because you're getting closer to a holy God. Now, what did Jesus bring to the wedding? Himself. Why did he bring himself? to begin his ministry and his purpose. And this takes us to our last question that Jesus answered at the wedding. How did he bring himself? By revealing that he is God. So here's your last feeling for the weekend. Jesus shows me who he really is. Jesus shows me who he really is. Verses three and four. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem. Jesus replied, my time has not yet Come. Now, nearly every time that Jesus was talking about his hour or his time, he was referring to his death. Now, he, right here, he's talking about really unveiling and revealing who he is. And he says, woman, this is not my problem. My, it's not time for my identity to be revealed. 
By the way, the Greek word that's translated here for woman is, is a word that expresses uh, f- uh, being flustered or frustrated. And so all, for all of our students, just FYI, I don't recommend calling your mom woman. All right. That may not be too healthy for you. All right. And all the dads are like, yeah, you better not. That's yeah. Listen, I believe that there is something deeper something deeper into what he said to his mother that was actually the determining factor of what Jesus might have been thinking in this moment when he said, woman, this is not my problem. My time has not yet come. Because when you look at the other chapters of John and even into the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Luke you'll see that Jesus was constantly thinking and talking about his death. He talked about his death all the time. And I know that sounds sick and morbid, but to Jesus, talking about his death meant restoration and hope and victory over death and sin. It wasn't morbid to Jesus because it was his purpose. He knew that's why he came. So I actually do believe that some of the context of this phrase, my time or my hour, is indeed talking about his death because Jesus knew, this is super important, Jesus knew that once his identity was publicly revealed with this sign, it would begin the countdown to his death. This sign began his journey to the cross for you and I. And I believe Jesus knew that. And it wasn't something that he was trying to avoid, but it was just this reality moment because Jesus was 100% God and he was 100% man. And I believe that the 100% man of Jesus, when he realized if I do this miracle, this is the countdown to my death, to my sacrifice for humanity. You see, up until this miracle, I think perhaps even the disciples that he had chosen were still a little skeptical. They possibly followed Jesus for days before they really believed that he was who he claimed to be. But look at the last verse in verse 11. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and look. And his disciples believed in him. It's when they saw that that his disciples believed in him. Did you know that no one else in the wedding knew that that came from Jesus except for the servants? Perhaps Jesus did this not only to begin the countdown of his sacrifice for us, but to get his disciples to believe because they knew it. Think about that. Until this miracle, he was just Jesus of Nazareth. Until this miracle, he was Mary's son. Until this miracle, he was the rabbi who was calling young men to leave their families and their jobs to come and follow him. Until this miracle, he was the community carpenter. When they come up and say, oh, Jesus, you know, Mary's son from Nazareth, he's the Messiah. He's the son of God. He's the creator of the universe. And they're like, no, he's not. He just made my kitchen table two weeks ago. That is not the Messiah. Think about that. That's what these people were living in. That's the reality of what they were living in. And now they see Jesus walking around saying, no, I'm him. I'm the son of God. And then it clicked that this truly is the Messiah, God made in the flesh. This is the one that the prophets have been declaring for centuries would come. And now he's here. We're living, we're living in this season that Jesus is here. The disciples were invited by Jesus to follow him. He revealed himself to them by performing a miracle and they believed in him. So perhaps today, 
Jesus is doing the exact same thing right here in this room. He's invited us to follow Him. He's performed the greatest miracle that will ever be done by dying on the cross and three days later raising from the dead. And He's inviting us to follow Him. He's inviting us to believe. He performed the miracle, then they believed. He's already performed the miracle, and now He's asking us to believe. So beginning the day, Jesus wants to lead us, I know, into something deeper, into something more. He wants us to know that it's not what we do that makes us followers of him. It's who he is and accepting what he did for our lives. Even as I was putting this message together, I feel like God was you know, kind of dropping into my spirit that there was going to be people here this morning that needed to accept Christ as their Savior. Maybe even throughout this message, you've been feeling kind of that tug and that pull in your spirit to surrender your life to him. Let me just say as we close, as a reminder, Jesus went to a wedding so that he could go to the cross, so that he could be risen from the dead, so that he could have a relationship with you. And it started at this wedding. He went to a wedding to be raised from the dead, to have a relationship with you. Will you bow your heads? Jesus, thank you that we can still read the words through our text, Lord, and just know that you still speak to us through these words. That 2,000 years ago, Lord, when you began this journey, Lord, the God side of you knew what you needed to do. The man side of you knew what you needed to do. But still there is something on the inside of you because you are 100% human, 100% man, to say, I know I need to begin this journey because I came here to die for the sins of humanity. So Lord, as I do this miracle, let the countdown begin. So Father, I just pray over every single person in this room. Lord, those who are wrestling through and conflicted right now on the inside of them, knowing, Lord, that that we represent those empty jars, Lord, that we need to come to you, Jesus, believing that you can fill us up, that it's not about what we do. It's not about the water in, the ju- in, those, in those jars that we try to use to, to, to fix ourselves and to wash ourselves and to clean ourselves. But Lord, it's about emptying ourselves of what we think we can do to fix us and allow you to fill us up by accepting that your spilled blood was the sacrifice for our sin. And as we enter into this season uh, of remembering what you did on the cross for us 2,000 years ago, Lord, as we work our way up to celebrating the resurrected uh, Jesus, the resurrected Son of the living God, I pray, Father, that you will just kind of lead our lives towards you, that you will never leave us alone, that in our times of quiet, in our times of of surrender in our times of praying in our times of sleep in our times of just quiet you'll just whisper to our spirits whisper to our hearts and draw us closer to you father i know that right now as i'm speaking there are people in here who are inviting you into their heart we know that there's no formula it's just confessing with our mouth and believing in our heart receiving you as our Savior, Lord. And I know that right now someone is doing that. 
And right now there are angels in heaven celebrating because that one has come home. That one is calling you their Savior. Thank you for that one. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you for what you're doing at this campus. Thank you for what you're doing in New Life, both campuses, Lord. You are positioning us for the harvest as you bring in the harvest. Let us love. Let us care. Let us offer hope and peace that only comes from you. Today we surrender ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for being here. Don't forget all the announcements that Pastor Tito made earlier. And also, don't forget to go visit Pam out in the lobby for Hold International if you want to sponsor a child or just to get even some more information about what's happening. Uh, don't forget next week, uh, we're going to continue our series on Jesus Went. Don't miss next week. Jesus Went to the Outsider. How many of you have ever been an outsider? I know that's about 98% of this campus. All right, come on. So, hey, we love you guys. We want you to have a blessed week. Uh, blessings over you and your home, over your finances, over your marriage, over your children. I bless you this morning. Have a great week. We'll see you back here next Sunday. Have a great one. Hey, thank you, man. God bless you, man.